all of the things that when you think about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a father, and uh, I was looking at a, a list of things. It was the top 50 reasons it's good to be a man. And uh, the top 10 of those, I'm going to summarize them for you very quickly. Uh, and the top 10 reasons is why it's so good to be a man. Um, and, and I would have some different opinions on a few of these, but uh, I have a couple extra I'd like to add into the top 10, but we won't do that this morning. But number 10, you know stuff about tanks, all right? Um, number nine, if someone forgets to invite you to something, they can still be your friend, all right? Anybody else understand that? You can drop by to see a friend without bringing a special gift. If another guy shows up at the same party in the same outfit, you might become lifelong buddies. Guys in hockey masks don't attack you unless you're playing hockey, all right? Uh, you could admire Clint Eastwood without starving yourself to look like Clint Eastwood. Uh, your pals can be trusted never to trap you with, so notice anything different? <clears throat> and uh, if something mechanical doesn't work, you can bash it with a hammer and throw it across the room. Car mechanics tell you the truth. And number one, you could go to the bathroom without a support group. So um, anyway, I was talking to someone the other day, and I said, how did you know that? They said, they told me in the bathroom. I'm like, I mean, guys don't talk in the bathroom. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, it's like stare straight ahead. We have blinders on, and uh, you don't talk. You don't shake hands in the bathroom. I mean, a high five, no, none of that stuff. I mean, you just get in, get your business done, get out, and keep on moving and pretend you didn't see anybody. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's good to be a man. It's, it's great to be a dad. And uh, I'll never forget that moment. Uh, whenever, for me, that moment when uh, Savannah was born as our firstborn child, uh, it was something changed uh, forever in my life. And uh, those of you that are fathers, you know what that's like. And uh, we're also thankful for the mothers because without them, uh, we wouldn't be fathers. So uh, we're thankful for your commitment. Uh, you know, it, it's human nature to brag about your dad, to be proud of your dad. And there were three boys on the playground bragging about their dads. The first boy said, my dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a poem, and they pay him $50. Another boy said, that's nothing. My dad scribbles some words on a piece of paper, calls it a song, and they give him $100. The third boy, a pastor's son, said, I've got you both beat. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a sermon. It takes eight people to collect all of the money. So, uh, you know, there's certain things that we like to brag about as, as kids. You know, my dad's bigger than your dad. My dad can beat up your dad when you're in first grade, when you're talking about those type of things. But the, the Bible is... Uh, full of stories of godly dads, men who led with integrity, men who had character and, and stood out above all of the rest. Noah is on the good dads list. This morning we're going to look at the story of, of Noah and, and, and look at a little bit about what it took to, to raise godly young men and godly children in a godless age. If you can imagine what it must have been like in his days, he's building an ark they had never seen rain before. They had never seen large bodies of water before. And, and Noah is given a command by God to build a massive boat. And you can only imagine as he's preaching, and he's building on this thing, and people are ridiculing him, and they're making fun of him. And, and all of the while, 
he's got three young little boys who are watching every single thing he says, what comes out of his mouth, what actions he does. Every time he hits his thumb with a, a hammer as he's putting that boat together, you can only imagine what's going through their minds. And those boys are watching their dad and they're thinking, is dad completely crazy? I mean, let's, have we not all been there at some point and, and dad asks us to do a job and you're like, I mean, is this like character building? I mean, especially when you get to be a, a teenager, like 15, 16, you're like, what is the point of digging this ditch? And maybe that is the point. I mean, you're just there to, to dig that ditch to build character. And maybe there really isn't uh, uh, anything that's going to go in that ditch. Maybe you're going to put some rock in that ditch. Who knows? Maybe you're going to fill it back up with sand after you're done. But the point is, as our dads are doing things, sometimes we think, hey, that my dad is crazy. By the time you get to be 18, 19 years old, you really think dad is crazy. I mean, because at that point in life, you know every single thing. I went to a, a Christian college, and as I was preparing for ministry, I remember uh, as we were coming up on that first uh, uh, summer break, and they brought all of the, the, the freshmen into a room, and and you can see it, it's, a, it's a small Christian college and everybody has been in, all of these freshmen have been in school for one year, you know, and you have enough knowledge to be absolutely stupid, all right? And, and so you have enough, you've taken just, uh, you've taken Old Testament survey, you've taken New Testament, you've taken all these things and you know what, they sit us down, they said, don't go home and try to re, uh, you know, remake your entire church back home because, Bobby, you're going to have enough knowledge just to be dangerous. And so they said, don't go back and start telling your pastor he's doing everything wrong. And if he would just do this, you know, the masses would show up. If he would just, you know, do this or that, you know, everything. Don't go back and tell your parents like they don't know what they're doing. You go back and you get back in your house and you still obey your parents and you have the right authority and, and God has placed you in a certain position in life. There's something happens about 25, 26 years old. So those of you that have 19, 20, 21, 22, 20, there's hope, all right? Because I'm telling you there, there at some point about 25, 26 years old, when you're starting to you come off your parents' insurance, you're starting to, you know, put food on your own table, you're paying for your own rent, you're keeping a roof over your head and, you know, all these things, you're starting to, starting to realize mom and dad had a lot more wisdom than I gave them credit for. In fact, dad was actually pretty smart. In fact, you know, by the time you get to be 30, you realize I knew absolutely nothing and my parents were genius level. No matter what their level of education was, we realized that they knew so much more about the reality and the world around them. Noah knew what it meant to be a godly father in a godless age. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. In fact, if you want to pick out little nitpicky things in his life, you can find things probably within his character that were less than perfect. But folks, as a, role, as a, as a whole, Noah lived for God. He walked with God. He had a relationship with God. Building the ark was probably the most remarkable accomplishment. We might need an ark to get out of the service this morning if you're listening to the rain outside. But aren't you thankful we're inside? And aren't you thankful we're not working on the uh, on a roof right now or working the tarmac at RDU this morning and directing planes and all of this? But you know, building an ark was a remarkable accomplishment in history. Think about several thousand years ago, no power tools. All right. I mean, anybody can build something with the right tools and the right blueprints and the right directions. But folks, he had none of the things that we, the modern conveniences of today. 
And, and I don't know, has anybody been to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky? I mean, when you look at the pictures, it's absolutely massive. And to think that Noah built this without all of the modern technology and conveniences that we have. That he raised a family in a difficult time, in an age of wickedness, an age of evil thinking. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Think for just a moment what the day was like. So this is setting the stage for Noah and his, and his ministry and his influence. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. Imagine for just a moment that God of all creation looks down and regrets making his crown jewel. All of the thing, days of creation, we got, and he created man, and, and he said this is good, and he created us perfect in the image of God, and placed us in a perfect environment, and then all of a sudden, man fails God radically. He says, man, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. The Word of God tells us Noah was a what church? A righteous. Let's say it one more time. Noah was what? A righteous man. What is that next word? Blameless. Blameless in his generation. And then we see in the very next verse, Noah did what? Walked with God. God. And Noah, I love, I love this, the, the, the continuation, had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. So we see the, the setting here. Everything around Noah is completely out of control. It's violent. It's wicked. It's God even regrets making or creating man. And yet, in the midst of all of that, there's a man who walks with God, a man who has favor with God, who's found God's blessing. And Hebrews eleven seven gives us a, a, a New Testament snapshot of Noah. It says, "By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear." constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah lived in an age of corruption. In fact, if, if you watch what's happening around our world today, you might think, what's different today? What's different? Fast forward to 2021. What's different today and what's holding back the wrath of God when you look at what's happening around our world and, and the things that are happening and, and you think if it weren't for the God's people, the church of God, they're striving to live holy and righteous before God through the power of the Holy Spirit. If it wasn't for the, the power of the church today, there would be nothing holding back the wrath of God on this violent generation. But see, the, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. And Noah succeeded as a father in such an environment. What an encouragement for me as a dad, knowing raising up kids in, in, in today's generation, it is possible 
to lead your kids towards a right relationship with Jesus Christ, even in an evil world, even in a wicked and perverse nation. We see Noah walked with God. If you look at Noah, at Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, one clue is found. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generations. Noah walked with God. The thing that God wants us to know about Noah, he walked with God. He had a relationship with God. He talked to the Lord. He had, he had an ongoing relationship. And, and before we're told that Noah walked with God, verse 9 says he was a righteous man. In fact, the term righteous or just in the Word of God doesn't just have to do with living a good life. To be righteous in the biblical sense means to be without sin before a holy God. And there's, it's not something that's earned. It's something that was bestowed upon him as a person by God. The idea of God making a person just before him is known as justification. And we, when you see a, a big term like justification, it, it literally means just as if I had never sinned. In other words, it, it's a big word, but it's when God sees us as a blood-bought child of God who's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, God sees the righteousness of God applied to our lives. If you know Christ is your Savior, He sees us as justified before the Father because of what Jesus Christ has done. And the word blameless here doesn't mean He never sinned. In fact, that's the furthest thing from the truth. The only sinless person who's ever lived on this earth is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. But the word, the Hebrew word uh, without blemish means complete, sound, upright, and whole. So Hebrews eleven seven gives us some insight. He says you can be justified because Noah became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So if you think about Hebrews eleven seven, I want you to think about a couple of things. Noah had righteousness imparted to him, not because of anything he had done, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Folks, we can be made righteous before God the Father. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that God loves us and in our sinful state chose to send a substitute, a redeemer, or pay the ransom to pay for our sin? And in Genesis 6, it says to be righteous means to be able to stand without sin before a holy God. None of us are perfect, in fact, including Noah. So it presents a dilemma. Even if we reform and, and seek to live for God the rest of our lives, we're still not perfect. But that's why God demands, He, he demands absolute perfection. He demands righteousness. We need the, we need the righteousness of Christ to be applied to each of our lives this morning. Not only was Noah, did he have righteousness, his righteous standing before God was bestowed and not earned. Some people think that if they do their best to live a, a, a good life and they seek to pay their bills on time and, and, and you know, help the poor, the elderly, they, they do all of these good deeds that somehow they're going to gain favor with God. And my good, we, well, good deeds outweighed my bad deeds. And I've somehow gained entrance into heaven. Can I just give you the 411 on that? You can never do enough. You will never measure up. The Word of God says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. There is none righteous. 
So Hebrews 11, 7 says, Noah became an heir to his righteousness, to this righteous state. To become heir means to receive something absolutely free. In fact, that's what salvation is. It's the free gift of God from a loving God. It's through the grace of God that he bestows on us the gift of salvation. Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is what, church? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So this morning as we look at Noah's life, he received the righteousness of God was bestowed upon him. And folks, you and I need the righteousness of God to be applied to our lives. Jesus died on the cross for, to take the place of our sin. We see also he became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. In other words, the only way you can be saved this morning is by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Either salvation in any other, there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only way that you and I can be saved. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, For by grace have you been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one boast. I love this passage of Scripture because, folks, it takes the responsibility off of you and I to earn our way to heaven. It also says you're not going to be able to pat yourself on the back for anything good that we've done because the Word of God tells us our greatest things, of uh, works of righteousness in our minds are filthy rags in the sight of God. So he says we can't measure up. But he says it's a gift of God, not a result of works. We might be boasting of it. How did Noah receive righteousness? He did so by placing his faith in God. How can you receive God's righteousness this morning and pardon for sin? By faith in, in the tru trusting in what Jesus Christ accomplished 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So folks, if you want to find out what it means to walk with God, have a right, right relationship with God, be made righteous before God, we have to place our faith and trust in God for salvation. That's true if you're a father this morning, a mother, a, a, a teenager, a child, doesn't matter how old or how young you are this morning. If you're at the age of accountability where you're able to determine right from wrong, we have to make a decision. Am I going to choose to follow Jesus Christ? If you want to walk with God this morning, He desires to save and radically transform our first, our soul. The first thing that to do to be that dad that God wants us to be have our sin is having our sins forgiving, having that personal relationship, learning to walk with God. Not only was Noah a man who had received pardon for sin, we are told that he walked with God. What a compliment! What a what a, a word of encouragement. When, when you talk about your life and the things that your life has amounted to up to this point, if our life were to be snuffed out this morning, what would people say about you? What would people say about me? What would they say about the legacy that we're leaving behind? Would it be that we walked with God? 
They, they made a, a great impact on their city, on their, their culture with the gospel of Christ, or it was it all about ourselves? Was it all about building our own name, our own, our own brand, so to speak? And folks, Noah looked around at the wickedness. He saw the violence of his day, and he refused to follow the lead of his culture. The world said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But Noah said, no, that's not God's plan. That's not God's purpose for my life. God has a, a reason that he's placed me here. And I've got three young sons who are watching everything I say and everything I do. And they're watching my example. And they're looking for something to, to poke a hole in and, and say, that's not of God. But what happens is the world was going to hell in a handbasket. Noah resolved to stand above the fray. He, dissolved, he resolved to be different from those around him. What does it mean to walk with God this morning? Walking with Him, uh, someone means that you're going in the same direction. But what it ultimately is saying is, I'm yielding to His control. I'm walking in the Spirit under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, allowing Him to control my life. So to walk with God is to walk in His ways. Say, Pastor, how, what are some ways I can do, walk with God this morning? Spend time with God in His Word and prayer. Cultivate a relationship with God. A few, uh, couple of weeks ago, my wife and I celebrated our anniversary, and we got away without kids for about four nights, and it was absolutely fantastic. I recommend it. If you could do that, get away for, uh, even if it's just for a long weekend, get away without kids. Why? Because you need that uninterrupted communication. In fact, we did our very best to stay off of social media, and that's often difficult, and, and, to, and to stay off email, and I didn't even open my computer. That is like, never happens. And uh, so if you sent me an email and I didn't reply, I mean, there was, sorry, but there was other priorities that were a little bit higher at the time, and, and I was trying to focus on my relationship with my wife. But folks, at the end of the day, if we want to have a relationship, we want to walk with God, we've got to clear out the distractions and say, God, I'm going to focus on getting to know you, walking with you, having a personal relationship with God. And what happens is when we get into God's Word, He sets us straight. He corrects us. The Word of God is like a, a mirror to the soul, and it shows us areas that we need work on. It helps us refocus our priorities and get our eyes off of ourselves and onto a right relationship with God. We'll need to do that to walk with God. Then we, God's calling us to be the spiritual leader of our home. Think about when Joshua came to the land of Israel. He didn't give his kids an option about serving the Lord. No, Joshua 24, 15 says, as for me and my house, what does it say? We will serve the Lord. He didn't say, as for me and my house, well, we might serve the Lord. He was, matter of fact, he had a deliberate testimony saying, we are choosing to live for God. It's for me and my house will serve the Lord. When I was growing up, it was never, ever an option if we were going to church. I mean, you were either going willingly 
or unwillingly, but you were going to church. And we, we can laugh about it now, but there was no options in my house. I mean, you could put up a fight, you're still going. You could go willingly, you're still going. But you know what the difference is? You say, well, Pastor, I don't believe in that. I believe in letting kids make up their own minds. Do you let them choose whether or not to go to the doctor, to the dentist, go to school, do all of the? And you say, oh, well, Pastor, those things affect their health. So does going to church. It helps build character and wisdom in the things of God. It helps form, it, form their, who they are. It helps build a relationship towards Jesus Christ. And folks, if my parents had, le- had lived a hypocritical lifestyle, folks, I would probably not be in church today. But all the while, as they were bringing me, carrying me, dragging me to church and whatever it would take during those times. Folks, the reality is, is it was setting an an example for me that today I have carried over to my kids. And and my kids don't have an option. They're going to church. In fact, uh, when they say every time the door was open, I mean, we never missed anything. A funeral, a wedding. I've seen so many uh, bodies in the casket. I'm like, I don't want anyone to see me when I die. I mean, I'm, the, the whole thought of that is, is morbid. But, I mean, as a kid, I'd go to every single funeral home. And, and I was like, I mean, go home and have nightmares and all of these things. You know, and I don't want that. I don't want to see that every <laughs> But I, I'm, I'm, it was just part of being a PK. I mean, we, we played in the baptistry when, when church was over. I mean, we just did. I mean, it was part of it. We ate the leftover communion. I mean, I spilled it all over my uh, Easter Sunday suit. I mean, you, you do those things when you're a PK. You, you, this is like your home away from home. I mean, you kind of grow up here and, and you do those things. But folks, the reality is, is if mom and dad had lived an inconsistent life, it would have shown up at home. It would have shown up in our DNA and who we were. But folks, what happened is as they begin to point us toward the Savior and prepare to launch us out as an arrow into life, they had been instilling in us the right way, the right way, God's way, righteousness and truth. And, and they began to point us in the right direction. And my parents believe with all of their heart when Jesus says in the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So they taught me how to have a personal relationship with God the Father. So that when I did launch out, I would have uh, the know-how to walk with God as a, as a young man, as a husband one day, as a father one day, as a pastor one day. God would prepare my heart along the way. You see, Noah also learned to obey him. God came to Noah and told him to build an ark. You could only imagine Shem, Ham, and Japheth going, a what? (laughs) An ark, you know. If you went to kids' church back in the day, Noah built an arky, arky. There was a song about Noah building the ark. But there was nothing to compare it to. I mean, the book of Genesis was in the formation. I mean, there was no going back and saying, well, this is what happened in Genesis 6. No, you are Genesis 6. I mean, God is telling, you know, you can imagine the early New Testament churches say, well, well, why didn't the early New Testament church do X, Y, Z? Because they were the church at Acts. That was the formation of the early New Testament church. They didn't have anything to work off of as a pattern. And so 
Noah learned to obey God. Noah, God says, you're going to build an ark. Then you're going to gather animals two by two of every kind. I can think of a few I would have probably left off, but it wasn't up to Noah to do that. I mean, he was saying, no, this is your job. I've given you a job. You're going to preach the gospel every single day, and you're going to build this ark. And he commanded him to do all of that and to bring his family into an ark. He says, the way to greatness, as Noah is learning to obey God, he's listening to the power of God in his own heart. God commands us to do many things. Sometimes we don't always understand it. In fact, he tells us if you'll lay down your life or, or, or give up your life, you'll save it. It doesn't make sense. He says to give so that you may receive. He says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He says the way to greatness is to be a servant. And folks, as we go through all of these things in our minds, sometimes it's hard to wrap our minds around it. We may not understand why God says to do this or that. But if you're going to walk with God, we must learn to obey Him. In our day, my dad would say something he's like, but why? He says, because I said so. 2021, that didn't work very well. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. When, when you say, because I said so, there be, better be an explanation. There better be a chapter and a verse, you know, and they say, it, sometimes it might just be children obey your parents in the Lord for it. This is right. All right. But either way, at least give them that because they're looking for an answer of a reason. But folks, obedience is so important. God's word tells us to let our, our speech be seasoned with salt. It means we must clean up our language. Dads, if we are going to be effective in leading our kids, we've got to watch our, our, our mouth. He says, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't be an out-of-control dad who's losing their temper and constantly blowing up. So that means at home, at work, when you're driving on I-40, don't lose your cool. So, Pastor, that's easy for you. Your commute is like five minutes to, to work. But, folks, the reality is, is our kids are watching. They're listening. Their ears, their antennae are, are tuned in to what mom and dad are saying and doing. And they're watching our example. God commands us to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. So that means that sometimes you have to say, no, we're not doing this. When everybody else is doing it, you have to turn off the, the radio or the TV or the, the, the internet and, and say, I'm going to choose to follow and obey Jesus Christ. Noah was declared righteous before God. He walked with God. We see secondly and lastly, through authentic faith and obedience, Noah won his family. Listen to the word of God. We write these words before God destroy the whole world with a flood, this, this was written out in Genesis chapter 7. The Lord said to God, to Noah, go into the ark, you and all of your household, for I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Verse 7 says, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. At this point, this was the most important thing that Noah had done. Because not only did he listen, did he walk with God, did he build the ark, but he had to prepare his sons and their wives to go into the ark. And when God said, it's time, it goes in and God shut 
the door on the ark. Folks, they were obedient to the call of God. It was the most important task that he had done at that, at that moment. Folks, you and I, as, as dads, as, as moms, as parents, God has called us to walk with God. But he's taught us to have, he's ta- telling us to have an authentic faith and be obedient in this life. And that's the most important thing that you and I can do at this season of our life. No, his family members were his only converts, and yet he was deemed a success. What happens if we gain the whole world and lose our own soul? What happens if we spend all of our time ministering to everyone else and don't reach our own family? You see, he was not a great financier, but he was a great father of his three boys. He was not a corporate executive, but he was a conscientious example to the young men and women who were following him and the the families that they would one day have. Noah was maybe not even a great preacher. In, In fact, all he had was his family and his congregation. So you can imagine, people could have looked out and said, well, man, good grief. He didn't make a great impact because... It was just his three boys and their, their three wives. So, I mean, he didn't have some massive audience that he was preaching to on a weekly basis. But he was a great pattern, folks, as he set an example and ultimately led his family to worship and follow God. What a day for Noah and his entire family. Can you imagine when God shut the door? I mean, I don't think it was going to be one of those little... I think when God shut the door on the ark, it was, every animal knew that door was closed. Every, uh, 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 every bird, every uh, animal that was on board the ark knew God had shut the door to the ark. And you see, he was a, a great example. Contrast Noah's life with the, lot, the, the, the story of Lot, who fled Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you think about, he begged his family to escape received multiple warnings of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, but Lot compromised every single step of the way and ultimately only made it out of the, uh, the, the country with, with his two, two of his daughters made it out. And his wife barely made it out. We'll, we'll talk about her in just a second. But Lot compromised every single step. His credibility, his family's spirituality, in fact... The Bible tells us they mocked the warnings of God. Lot's family mocked the the warnings of God. And and when God began to rain down his judgment and Lot fled, just only his two daughters and his wife made it out. And then Lot's wife was so enamored by the things that were happening there, she turns back for one last look. And the word of God says that she was turned into a pillar of salt to this day. I don't know about the excavations of, of that part of the world, but I would imagine there's some salt over there that, that's probably, the Word of God says, it's still there to this day. Who knows the, the actual details of it in 2021, but contrast that with, with Noah's life. What did Noah win with his family? Here's the key. He had an authentic faith and obedience to God. He wasn't hypocritical. His authenticity and genuineness set an example for his boys that ultimately they would choose to follow God. That's why Noah was able to reach his family. And I want to encourage you, in the day and age in which we live, our kids are looking for authenticity. They're looking for something that's genuine. They want to see 
that mom and dad know God. They have a relationship with God. They're walking with God. They're not just saying it, they're living it out. Kids react to hypocrisy, but they demand and respond positively to genuine faith being lived out in our lives. So, Pastor, what's the application? As it was in the days of Noah, so it is in our day. A time of wickedness, violence, and sin. But you know what? God's grace is more than sufficient for you and I as dads in 2021. You say, well, Pastor, my, my kids are grown. You're never done. I'm looking at I'm looking at grandparents this morning. You have an influence on your children, on your grandchildren. I'm looking at fathers this morning and said, Pastor, my kids are grown. I promise you you have more respect than you could ever imagine. And you have an opportunity to still invest in their relationship with God and make deposits in their character and their integrity. Parents that have kids at home, they have young kids at home that maybe one day will have kids. Understand God's got a purpose and His grace is sufficient. And some of you may think, hey, Pastor David, I can't imagine bringing kids into this world. Well, folks, if that is part of God's plan for your life, He will equip you with everything you need to be successful in this age to raise your kids for the glory of God. May God enable us to win our families to Christ. Men walk with God by giving our lives to Christ and by obeying Him no matter the cost. Be so authentic as Christians that our families are convinced Christianity must be true and thereby lead them to faith in Christ by your godly example. Several years ago, I read this book called Anchorman. Steve Farrar is talking about the role that uh, a father has in the home. And in this book, he talks about Jack London's famous book, White Fang. And he tells the story of a dog that is half wolf and half dog. As a puppy, White Fang is treacherously abused by his cruel master. He's repeatedly kicked, beaten, and half starved. After several years of abuse, he found his way to a new master named Whedon Scott. In the story, there's a tremendous section devoted to this story about how Wolf Dog undergoes an, uh, an amazing transformation from his old life to a new life. It's as though he had a change of heart. White Fang was very fond of chickens, and on one occasion he raided a chicken roost and killed 50 hens. His master, Whedon Scott, whom White Fang saw as a man God and loved with a single heart, scolded him and took him back to the chicken yard. When White Fang saw his favorite food walking around in front of him, he obeyed his natural impulse and lunged for a chicken. He was immediately checked by his master's voice. They stayed in the chicken yard for quite a few hours, while every time White Fang made a, a move toward a chicken, his master's voice would stop him. In this way, he learned what his master wanted, and he learned to ignore the chickens. Whedon's father said, you can't cure a chicken killer. So to prove him wrong, Whedon locked White Fang in with the chickens all afternoon. And as his master was not around, he left him there. White Fang acted as if they did not exist. 
and did not touch even one of them. Out of love and desire to obey his master's will, White Fang overcame his natural inborn desires. He may not have understood the reason, but he chose to bend his will to his masters. And White Fang learned to love his new master, Weedon Scott, with all his heart, with all his soul, all of his might, and wasn't half-hearted toward his master. In fact, he followed his new master with everything he had. For our sums up the point of the story of White Fang, he says, that's what children need to clear up the moral and spiritual confusion in their lives. They need a father to lead who isn't confused about who he is serving. And they need a father who doesn't confuse them by trying to love God with only half his heart. Wow. What a powerful story. You see, what happens is our kids are watching and they're looking for a dad who's completely sold out to God and is going to live for God no matter what the rest of the world is doing. They're looking for a father who will lead victoriously. Man, I want to challenge you likewise to know who you're serving. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Do that and you might just save your own kids for eternity. See what happens is they're going to watch and choose whether to follow the faith of their father. Whether to follow the faith of their mother. And they're looking for men and women who will step up and lead for the glory of God. May we be those type of men. May we be those types of fathers this morning that lead our children to a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, will you speak to our hearts this morning? God, I'm convinced that in spite of all of the challenges of our day, your word is still true. Your word is still true unchanging the gospel is still the same yesterday, today and and forever God would you mold our hearts into your fashion this morning God would you have your way in our lives God would we love you more than the things of this life and of this world and God may we choose to lead our families to walk with God to have a personal relationship may our authentic faith and obedience set such an example for our kids that they choose to follow in the in the way that you've called that you we've led by example god may it cause them to choose to follow jesus christ and live the rest of their days for your glory and for your renown be careful to praise you let's stand our feet as we sing our final song this morning